go with you this day. His grace, his mercy, his peace, his love, all the gifts our God gives to us through Jesus Christ be yours today and always. Amen. You just heard Pastor Jeff read for us the gospel story, and that's the story we're especially going to focus upon this morning as we consider we all want to be great. That's our very first note. We all want to be great. These are grown men. All of them have committed to following Jesus as his disciples, but they're all concerned with who was going to be the greatest among them. Who's going to be the greatest treasurer? Who's going to be the greatest preacher? Who's going to be the greatest demon exorcist or the greatest healer or just simply who is going to be the greatest disciple? Leaving Galilee and walking along the road toward Capernaum, they voiced their ambitions one to another. Who's going to be the top man when Jesus establishes his kingdom? Who's going to be the most important person, that VIP in the Messiah's organization? Now, we may not admit it. We may not talk about it much, but we think those very same kinds of things often enough. We have ambitions. We have goals. We have dreams. We have hopes. We all want to be great. What ambitions might you bring with you this day? What are the dreams? What are the hopes? What are those things that fashion your life? And you're living as you move forward through the weeks and the months ahead. If you were to dust off those yearbooks that we all have hidden somewhere in our homes or in our closets. And you would look at some of the things that were put down about you or that you maybe put down. Or about some of those classmates of years gone by. Those goals and those hopes and those dreams. How close might you be to what that yearbook states? What were some of the ambitions that you first entertained as you were finishing up that schooling and maybe going on there or in some other direction, but beginning more of a life of your own? How far did you end up in the direction that you thought you might be going? Yesteryear's sketch may not look anything like today's picture at all. But then perhaps you're not finished. You're still working in that direction. Well, when the Lord God begins the story of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord promises Abram and says to him, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God's words must have sounded awesome to this man, Abraham. But there was a problem. He and his wife had no children. There were no descendants at this time. Abram is struggling to build a family, let alone a great nation. 
But that's exactly what the Lord tells him. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. We all want to be great. Yet not everyone gets to be chosen, the homecoming queen. Not everyone hits that winning basket or scores that go-ahead touchdown as the game is ending and all the fans are roaring. You may not be voted the top man or the top woman in your profession. You are not highlighted at any time as student of the month. Yet these are often the hidden motivators that move us forward day after day as we live and as we strive. We desire to be noticed. We want to be remembered. We long to be successful and leave some sort of a mark by the world standards. You know, those standards that say, what's the size of your office? Do you have one of those window spots to work from? Where do you live? What's the size of your house? What part of town do you live in? Have you published any papers? Are you credited with any noted research? Have you graduated at the top of your class? Have you led the team to the state championship? Have you appeared on America's Got Talent? These are the marks of greatness which we use today, at least are used around us, arguing within ourselves, arguing against ourselves. Who's the greatest? And it's not just to be the greatest of your time any longer. The last few years, it's come out, who's the GOAT? G-O-A-T, who is the greatest of all time? We even find similar words spoken by the angel in Mary's story. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Jesus shares with us today, just as he shared with his disciples centuries ago, what it means to dwell in the kingdom of God as opposed to what it means to live in the world. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand. Why is that? Well, our second note, Jesus' message doesn't fit our lives. Jesus' message doesn't fit our lives. Jesus tries to explain the path that he is opening for those disciples to follow and to walk upon, that path which leads to the cross and to death and to resurrection. But such a message just doesn't resonate with the way we picture life. It doesn't fit well with that notion of pursuing happiness that we run after day after day and week after week. The disciples don't listen well to what Jesus is trying to teach them. They certainly don't understand what he says. It doesn't fit their lives. They left that place 
Mark says, and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Maybe they didn't try very hard to understand. In the world of things, with the attraction that things have for us, in the world of ambition that puts so much pressure upon us to succeed in something, in the world where getting ahead and being on top, is maybe even for a moment, makes us the greatest, we don't understand what our Lord is trying to teach us. Perhaps we too really don't want to comprehend what it means to live as a person of faith, what it means to live as a believer who has been called by the Spirit of Christ to live with the love of Christ, both in our words and in our actions. Jesus has tried to explain what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God. This is not the first time this subject has been broached by him. A chapter earlier in Mark chapter 8, God's word tells us that Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Suffering, rejection, die. If they heard that, if they understand that, they certainly also come, came to know that what Jesus is saying simply doesn't fit our life. Is this what it means to dwell in the kingdom? Is this what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ? If I were to bring out a sign-up sheet today and pass it around and ask for volunteers for this sort of ministry, how many of us are going to pass that sign-up sheet right by? Suffering? Rejection? Dying? Please start that on the other side of the church. Nope, not me today. Jesus spoke plainly, says Mark in chapter 8, about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The disciple whom many might make that greatest disciple of all time, Peter, he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him for even suggesting such a thing as a cross and a grave. Peter is so quick to speak that word of rebuke when Jesus plainly tells them what is the path upon which he is leading them, the path that leads all of us to Calvary's cross of salvation and forgiveness. But yet, yet when he, among all the other disciples, together with them, is asked what they were arguing about along the road, Peter manages to keep his mouth shut and his tongue quiet, arguing about nothing. That's our next point. They came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the road they had argued about who was the greatest. Hey, fellas, 
What were you talking about back there? I could, could hear you as we were walking down the road. Nothing. Sure sounded like you guys were getting into it. That was a pre- sounded like a pretty serious discussion. Oh, nothing. Jesus, really, it was nothing. And in a way, the disciples are right. It's a conversation that really isn't worth talking about. Who's the greatest? Who is the goat, the greatest of all time? When the scope of our living and our thinking falls so short of covering all time, what good does it do for us to even engage in such a conversation that tries to cover the greatest of all time? I might as well keep my mouth shut. In the world that so often wants to beat our brains out as we just try to get ahead, in a culture in which greed so easily has a grip on so many other people, maybe the best thing for us to do is that, to say nothing. I don't know how many of you might remember the cartoon drawing by Bill Keane that was called Family Circus. I don't get a newspaper regularly anymore, so I don't know if it has still continued. I do know the creator of Family Circus has died. He began that cartoon. It's a single-panel cartoon, which means, you know, that's all you get is one panel rather than a continuous multi-panel cartoon. He began that in 1960, and often in the panel, mom is found to be asking of her four children, all right, who broke the lamp? Who was drawing with cartoon or crayons on the wall? Who spilled the milk there on the floor? Nobody. And so Bill King came to draw in his single-panel cartoon a little ghost that was called Nobody. And I'm sure all of our families have just such a little ghost. Nobody, nobody lives in the family. It was nothing, Jesus, really. Nobody's here arguing about greatness. Rank and status and greatness may have a place in our world and in our culture, but Jesus today wants us to make sure that we understand how rank and how status and how greatness are to be understood in God's kingdom and among God's people. So what does Jesus do? Mark tells us he sat down. Jesus assumes the position of a teaching rabbi because he's going to teach his disciples. What does he teach them? He teaches them that anyone who wants to be first must be last and a servant of all. What's that lesson? (laughs) The lesson is that life in the kingdom is upside down. Jesus turns everything upside down. He takes our thinking, he takes our living, and he flips it over. He inverts it. This is how life is to be lived in my kingdom. In the kingdom of God, among the people of God, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. 
Now, here is something that our world needs to know and to come to understand if it can. And here is something that the church needs to know and come to understand. And certainly here is what we as God's people need to hear and learn and know again and again and again. And in the community and in the world where Jesus Christ is Lord, crucifixion is the order of the day. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last, and the servant of all. We struggle with that. Our culture struggles with that. And so as our culture is all around us and even works to grow in us, we as God's people struggle with keeping that in front of us as the modus operandi of how we are to live and work with one another as the people of God. In the midst of a hurting and unbelieving community here in central Indiana, here is the path that we as the people of God need to walk with one another and for those for the sake of those who are around us. If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. As Jesus' people, we are called to be the servants of all. As Jesus humbled himself and became a servant, says Paul in Philippians 2, even a servant to the point of obedience to death on the cross, the world cannot grasp that, probably never will come to understand what that means. In the way of the world, it's power that matters. Power impresses. Everything else is weakness, and weakness does not count as greatness. But not so here, says our Lord. Not in the world do you live. Life in Jesus' world is upside down. Life as Jesus' disciples is upside down. Life in the kingdom is upside down. A new commandment I give you, Jesus tells his disciples, love one another. As I have loved, you are to love one another, says Jesus. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's greatness in the kingdom of God where the first will be last and the last will be first and we will be servants of all. The ambition to rule, the ambition to dominate, the ambition to be the goat in the kingdom, in the kingdom of faith where Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, such ambitions are out of order. By the cross, the cross and that empty tomb inverts everything, flips it all up, turns it upside down in the world and in our lives so that Jesus says, this is the ambition you will have. You will be my people, and as my people, you will live as servants of all. In my community of faith, the first will be last, the last will be first, and we will live as servants of all. Called by faith in Jesus Christ, this is the world in which we are to live. This is the real world of of truth and of love and of forgiveness. This is the world... This is what the world 
wishes to be, even though it doesn't know it. But we do know. We know that life, life in the kingdom, life is great in Jesus' kingdom. That's our last note. Because in the kingdom, debts are paid. And in the kingdom through Jesus, sins have been forgiven. We are free to live, not to get, not to live to be great, but to live to serve. For the price, the price has already been paid by the only one who could possibly pay it, that price on the cross shed by Jesus Christ for the sins of all people, for all the sins of all people, for all the sins of all people, for all time. And he was the only one who could do that. We now live in a world that through him, we find life. We find hope that is eternal. We find a path upon which to walk and follow through Jesus Christ. In this life, where he is our Savior, where we trust in Jesus Christ, we walk unhindered, living to serve, living as his servants. Life is great in Jesus' kingdom. doesn't say it's easy. Living as his servant is not necessarily always easy. But at the cross, we are clothed with the mantle of servanthood, called to care for one another, called to reach out and encourage one another, called to lift the burdens of our neighbors around us. And I think we will all agree, opportunities in today's world, opportunities this week, abound for us all as the people of God. Life in the kingdom is great. The principles are different. The values are different. Jesus has turned all of that upside down. The entire program is different. Because where else do you learn that the last shall be first and the first shall be last? So just to make sure we don't miss the point, Jesus does one last thing in our story today. He takes a little child whom he placed among them. He takes the child in his arms and he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Children are pretty small in our world. They're not owners. They don't possess much. They're not the movers and the shakers. They don't have a lot of power, not rich and famous. We might say we could even count them among the last. But Jesus calls us to welcome them and those who are like them because as we do so, we welcome not only him, but we welcome the God who sent him to be our Savior and their Savior. So who then is the greatest? of all time, the goat. Well, he's the one who makes a way where there ain't no way, rises up from an empty grave, ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Savior. Jesus Christ is and always will be the greatest of all time. And in his precious name, amen.